Well, good morning, Westview. How are you? Oh, that was a great good morning. So glad to see all your smiling faces. I, of course, am Pastor Wayne, one of the pastors here at Westview. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, we just have a section on our worship guide, which is our Connect card. We would just ask that you would quickly fill that out. And even if you have a prayer request as well on the back side, fill that out as well. And you can tear that off and leave it on either exits in our worship center at the boxes right at the doors. And we will just send you a thank you just to let you know how much we appreciate you joining with us this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, whether you are joining us online or here live in our worship center, we are so glad to have you with us. Happy New Year 2023. We have made it by the grace and the mercy and the power of God to a new year and new things and Along with new things for the new year, a couple of things we wanted to make you aware of. Number one, you'll see things look a little bit differently on your seat. You're going to see this card, and we're going to give you instructions later on after the message on filling it out. The next thing is we have life groups starting up on January 22nd. It's our winter, spring semester starts, and boy, we've got some new things for you. We are excited about new groups. We want you to be excited. So look next Sunday for a brochure in which you can sign up via a QR code or online for our new winter, spring semester classes. Amen? All right. Well... Following up behind Pastor Deb's wonderful prayer, we want to talk this morning about change. And our message title is Changing Direction. And if you'll get out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 32. And if you don't happen to have your Bible with you, don't worry. It'll come up on the screen at just the right time during the message. Because we want to talk about someone you may be familiar with in this morning's message. His name is Jacob. He's the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. And there's a dilemma that he has to face. And we want to share that with you this morning because that dilemma may apply to some of us this morning. Now, before we jump into that, gotta get a couple housekeeping things out of the way. You see, there are a couple terms that are used in theology for this event that takes place in Jacob's life. One of those words those theological terms is theophany. A theophany 
is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. In the most restrictive sense, it is a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period, often but not always limited to him being in human form. Now, all of that summarized in a simple phrase would be simply this. A theophany is when God shows up. Yeah. When God makes himself visible so that it, there is no doubt that you have encountered him. And likewise, there's another theological term called a Christophany. And a Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, some Bible commentators believe that whenever someone has received a visit from the angel of the Lord, it is in fact a pre-incarnate visit from Christ. So a theophany is when God shows up. A Christophany is the same exact thing, really, except we identify specifically that it is Jesus who shows up. And whether or not you agree with the idea of Jesus making appearances in the Old Testament, because he is God, he can do exactly what he wants to do, because he is almighty. So in that same sense, whether you agree with that theologically or not, keep in mind that there are other references in Scripture such as in the book of Daniel with the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, Lo, I see four men in that furnace loose, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Just one example of a Christophany. But before... We go into Jacob's story in chapter 32. I want to give you a little backstory on Jacob because he definitely, like our message title, needed to change direction. As a matter of fact, when you think about changing direction, think about when you're driving in your GPS should have told you to turn here two blocks ahead, but instead it was two blocks behind, and you have to make a U-turn and change direction. Well, whether that's something that happens in our lives today or whether we look at it spiritually, sometimes we have to change the direction we're going because life takes sudden turns and shifts things and we have to adjust. So we change direction. That's the case with Jacob. Well, Jacob, you may know a little bit about him. He's the guy who was a twin along with his brother Esau. But Jacob, his name 
means heel holder, heel holder or subplanter. Because Jacob was the type of person who would do whatever he had to do to get whatever he wanted. And if he saw something you had that he wanted, he was going to scheme in any way possible to get it. Give you an example. When he was born along with his brother Esau, because his parents, Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, and Isaac's wife, Rebekah, who couldn't have any children at first, they were promised by God that they would have two children that would become two nations. Well, in the midst of that, when it became time for Esau and Jacob to be born, Esau came out first, but Jacob got hold of Esau's heel. Because he was determined that Esau was not going to come into that world first. He was going to have a hold on him. And so that actually became the series and the basis of actions that took place in the course of their lives from that day forward. And so Jacob lived up to that name, heel holder. You see, Jacob had decided, even as a child, that no matter what, he was going to get not only what he wanted, but if it hurt you in the process, too bad. Yeah, do you know anybody like that in your life? Somebody who will do whatever it takes to get what they want, even at your expense. And they have very little remorse for it. So Jacob not only started off that way in life, but has he continued on as he and Esau grew? Jacob was the guy that swindled Esau out of his birthright. He convinced Esau to sell his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew because Esau had gone out hunting and came back and was famished. And Jacob was like, well, if you're that hungry, I've got something for you to eat, but it's going to cost you a little something. And you see, the birthright was that right that the eldest brother had to get the first portion of the father's inheritance. And Esau sold it away. Because Jacob was so good. Jacob should have been a used car salesman. Yeah, that's how good he was at swindling you. But that's not where he stopped. He continued on from there and spiraled downhill. Because then Jacob later on had found out that his father was near death because Isaac being old 
had gone blind. And so now with Isaac not being able to see clearly between his two sons, Jacob and his mother Rebekah schemed to get something else from Isaac, the family blessing, which could only be given to the eldest son. But it could only be given once. And so Rebekah, who loved Jacob the most, and Isaac, who loved Esau the most, It turns out Rebekah realized that she could scheme with Jacob. And so what she did was she told Jacob, your father's near death. He's about to give out the blessing. Here's what I want you to do. Follow my instructions. Your father had asked Esau to go hunting and to bring back some venison and to prepare it and cook it for him the way he liked. And then he would give the blessing and prepare to die. So Rebecca says, Jacob, go get two calves and bring them here. And I'll dress them the way your father likes. I'll cook them just the way your father likes his steaks. Getting hungry yet? <laughs> and so now Jacob goes and brings them to his mother and she prepares them and he says but 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 mom there's a problem because Esau is hairy he's buffed up and hairy dad's gonna know that it's not me that it's really that I'm pretending to be Esau he'll see right through it she said no no here's what we're gonna do we're gonna take the skins of those calves and put him on your hands and arms and it'll feel like you have hair when you get close to him. And we'll put on Esau's coat on you. That way, when you come near him and he smells the scent, it'll smell like you're Esau. And so they scheme together and it goes off without a hit. He brings in the meat to his father Isaac. And Isaac says, well, who is this? He said, it's me, your brother Esau. Your son, rather, Esau. And in the midst of that, Isaac says, well, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Now, are you really Esau? And he says, yes. And so he goes near him. And he can kiss him and smells the coat and says, yes, you smell like Esau. I guess you really are Esau. And so he gives him the blessing. Well, right after Jacob hightails it out of his father's tent with the blessing, here comes Esau back from hunting with the venison. And he had cooked it and dressed it and he brought it in to his father. And the father said, who, who are you? And he all says, well, it's me, your son Esau. And Isaac is like, wait a minute. You can't be Esau because Esau just left here and just brought me the meat and I gave him the blessing. 
And now Esau is really hot. It was bad enough that Jacob conned him out of his birthright, but now to con him out of the blessing too. And Esau was so angry, he says, the next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. That is a doornail. And so in the midst of all of that, when Isaac and Rebekah realize how angry Esau is, they warn Jacob, you better get out of here. Your brother's determined to kill you. Get going. Go to your uncle Laban's house. Rebekah instructed Jacob to go to her brother in Mesopotamia and stay there till your brother cools off. And so Jacob hightails it to Mesopotamia to his uncle Laban. But you know, like my grandmother used to say, if you tell one lie, you better be prepared to tell two. Because that started a cycle of him lying and being deceptive. And it turns out that when he got to his uncle's house and began working on his uncle's land, he fell in love with his cousin, Rachel. And he is determined now to marry her and asked Laban, can you let me marry your daughter? And Laban says, oh, yeah, but you got to work off the dowry. You know, there's a payment system we have here for when you get married to somebody. Uh, and boy, you don't have much or nothing, but tell you what, you work for me for seven years and that'll take care of the debt. So he does, and when he's done working, he comes to Laban and says, well, I worked, I've been planning to work for you for the seven years and ready for my wife. Laban goes, oh, you know what I forgot to tell you. There's a law around here that says you got to marry the oldest daughter first, and that's Leah. Tell you what, you marry Leah, you know, you promise to work for me another seven years, and then you can marry Rachel. So that's what he does. 14 years to get the woman he loves. So what goes around comes around. He had lied to get what he wanted, so Laban lied to him to get what he wanted. Because Leah wasn't the most attractive. And so he was able to get Jacob to marry her first. So now he has been deceived, and he's figuring on a way to get even with Laban, and an opportunity comes when Laban has some cattle that Jacob has been tending to. And so Jacob plots to speckle the cattle, to make it look diseased, so that he could take the best cattle. And when he made the best cattle look diseased, Laban would not want them and take the better-looking cattle. So he swindles his uncle out of the best cattle. You see the cycle 
going in Jacob's life. Just like sometimes in our own lives, we think we're going to get what we want. Oh, oh, oh we, we, we love God. We, 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 we know about him. We, we, we know his name. And yeah, we, we talk to him every now and then. And yeah, you know, we kind of get what we want. We think when we pray. And so we think that we and God are okay. And it's not the case at all. Because sometimes we only know about God, but don't really know him. And now Jacob is at a point where he and Laban become at odds. And Rachel takes some of the idols that Laban worships. And when Laban goes to worship his idols and he doesn't see them, he realizes, Jacob got me again. I'm going after him. Yeah, see, what goes around comes around. And Jacob, just like he was on the run from his brother Esau, now he's on the run from his uncle. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Yeah. So now Esau has been separated from Jacob and now Jacob has been separated from his uncle. And now at this point Laban when he chases after Jacob finally catches up to him and it becomes clear that it was Rachel who took the idols and not Jacob. And so Laban and Jacob make peace. And the phrase they use, this agreement they have, is one you may have heard of because some churches use it to this day as a benediction. The Lord watched between you and me while we are absent from one another. It's sometimes referred to as the mespah. But that's not actually a blessing. It is to say that I can't trust you and you can't trust me. So let the Lord watch between us because we can't trust each other. Is what it really means. And so now Jacob departs from Laban and they have their peace. But Jacob still doesn't have peace with Esau. So now years later when we get to chapter 32... Jacob is in a situation where he knows he's got to meet Esau. And he is fearful that Esau is still angry and wants to still kill him. So what he does is he divides his two wives and his servants and his wealth up. And he sends one wife and one half of his family in one direction and he sends the other wife and the other half of his family in another direction, hoping that Esau, even if he gets him, and even if he gets one part of his family, he won't get the whole family. Somebody will still be left. And so he plots now. Again, his mind is always working, that heel holder. 
is still at work in his life. He keeps living up to his name until we get to chapter 32. And now after he's divided up his family and sent them in different directions and he sent gifts to Esau to try to appease him, try to bribe him. And we find out that when Jacob's servants bring the gifts to Esau and they come back to Jacob, they say, well, oh yeah, we saw your brother and he's not alone. He's got 400 men with him. I think you're in trouble. Now Jacob is really worried. He's fearful and anxious, full of doubt. Because like maybe even some of us now, he's realizing I really don't know God and I need God more than ever. Even though God had appeared to him and spoken to him and he had seen angels and all before this, here in chapter 32, he's going to meet the God he prays to. He's going to meet the God he thought that he knew. And so starting at verse 24 in Genesis chapter 32, Look at what it says. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled there with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he meaning the man not prevailing against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go, except you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For like a prince you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked and said, I pray you, reveal your name. And he said, why do you ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place, face of God or Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he limped upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel do not eat of the sinew of the thigh, which is on the hip socket unto this day, because he, the man, touched Jacob's hip socket, the sinew of the thigh. Do you see a transition happening here? Jacob wrestles with this man, the Christophany, because this man is most likely Jesus. He wrestles with Jesus. And Jesus does not prevail against him because Jacob is so determined 
And with that determination, Jacob, though now Jesus has touched his thigh, Jacob would not let him go. But maybe it is also that not only is Jacob not letting him go, but most importantly, for you and I, Jesus does not let him go either. Because for every one of us, when we encounter Jesus, he's the one holding on to us, not always the other way around. Because Jesus had been holding on to Jacob all through Jacob's life, but it wasn't until this moment that Jacob now has a hold of Jesus. Same thing with you and I in our lives. Jesus is holding on to us until the point when we realize we need to hold on to him. And in the midst of that, something wonderful happens because Jacob loses something and gains something else. And the thought I have for you is this, is that when we wrestle with Jesus, we can expect to lose something. Yeah, we can expect to lose. And thank God we do. Because if we don't lose something, we lose ourselves. You see, Jesus isn't coming just to save us, but to save us from ourselves. That's where Jacob was. He needed to be saved and needed to be saved from himself because that old Jacob with that name, heel holder, supplanter, do anything I can to get what I want, live by my wits, that's who he was before this moment. And he can't walk into his true destiny until he's changed. And that's what Jesus does with us. Because another thought I have for you is this, is that Jesus comes to wrestle with us to win us. Yeah, he's got to wrestle with you and I and wrestle our lives, our broken lives, our broken selves, our sinful selves away from us so that we can become like him. That's why he has to see Jacob face to face, and that's why Jacob needs to see him face to face. That's that moment of reckoning, that come to Jesus moment. And when Jacob has it, he changes. He not only changes physically, with now having a limp, but he changes spiritually because he knows he has a new name to live up to. You're no longer a heel holder. Now you are he who has strived with God and man and prevailed. You are now a prince. You are no longer a pauper.
What you used to be is gone because the man you are now, the man that I have changed you into and the direction which I have changed you will now determine your destiny from this point on. And so now Jacob is a man we can admire because the stuff he did beforehand with tricking his brother, deceiving his father, practically stealing from his own uncle, even despising one of his two wives. All the things that he was before Genesis chapter 32, now seeing Jesus, he sees himself. And that's why he can't let Jesus go. He may not have known Jesus' name then, but he knew this one was greater than him. And he knew Jesus is the only one who could bless him because the fear and the doubt and the anxiety that came with having to face his brother Esau after this wrestling match was gone. And let me make it clear for you that when the Bible talks about them wrestling, this was not a ballroom brawl. This was not like in the old westerns when you see a guy fly through a window or out the saloon doors. That's not what was going on here. This was not a fist fight. This was a man who saw one greater than him and latched on to him and said, I can't let you go. You're the only one that can help me. That's where you and I are in our faith walk when we see Jesus and we realize we can't let him go because he's the only one that can save us. He's the only savior. And so Jacob now can't give up. That's where you and I are in this new year. We're in an opportunity where we can't give up. But we can hold on to Jesus and to who he is and get his blessing and he changes not only our lives, but changes our names. And in that change, we become anew, just like Jacob. Because I love what that verse talks about when it says that the sun rolls on him. And he walked with a limp, because I can guarantee you, he looked up at the sun for the first time. And he saw the S-U-N because he also had faced the S-O-N. And in the midst of that change, he knew he was different. And here's my other thoughts for you. You see, Jesus comes to change our direction by changing our walk. For Jacob, it was not just physical, but spiritual. Yes, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he also walked with a laugh for the rest of his life. Because he knew that he would never be the same. And at the same time, he knew that there was a brighter outlook for him. Just like for you and I, Jesus changes our direction by changing our walk. Because here's the beauty of our faith. 
that your direction before Jesus was the highway to hell. But now, because of him, you're ready to go to heaven. That's something to shout about. Because he changed your direction and he changed your walk so that you now walk like him. And the closer you get to him, the more you see his face, the same way Jacob did. And you and I both have a Peniel moment, a moment in which we realize that once we've seen the face of God, we can never go back to where we were because the past needs to stay in the past. But through Christ, we have a future. And I can tell you even from my own story, being a preacher, but I wasn't always that. Yes, I was brought up in the church and knew the Bible as a kid, but when I got a little older in my teenage years, I strayed away. And there were points in my life that I'm not proud of, but I know that it's part of my story. And the same thing with all of us in here, because whether you're watching online or whether you're here with us live, the beauty of what Jesus does is he gets his glory from our story. And he reshapes that story's ending. And through that, we can praise God because I can tell you that as for me, I was once a playboy, but he took that playboy and made him a preacher. And for each of us, we all have a story to tell. And as we prepare to go into offering, know that when we share our stories with one another, it is by our testimonies that we overcome, along with the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord, as we offer up ourselves, we pray now, Father, that you would touch each and every one of us with the reminder of our story and how you have changed us. And so as we offer up our tithes and offerings, and as we leave them at the boxes at either end of the worship center, let us also leave a greater offering of ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name.